This is The Ignition Show. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to or welcome back to our podcast. My name is Chris Jansen, host of The Ignition Show, where our aim is to create meaningful conversations with switched on people about things that matter. Matter in the pursuit of your potential and igniting the flame within you to live your best and full life. On today's show, we're speaking with Pete Bambachi. Pete is the founder and chief connection officer of Genwell Project, a human connection movement whose mission is to make the world a happier, healthier place by reminding people about the importance of face-to-face social connection and inspiring them to take action. In a time where the world has never been more connected, the irony of all ironies is that we often spend more time staring at screens than into the eyes of our friends and family. Pete is a passionate voice of reason for all of us and is sure to strike a chord and force you to evaluate your own social habits and connections with others. Pete, it's great to have you here. Great to reconnect with you. Welcome to The Ignition Show. Uh, Chris, great to be here. And thank you so much for helping us spread this important message to your community. Yeah, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. And, you know, I I was reflecting on the fact you and I first met probably two to three years ago now. And and I remember we were introduced by a mutual friend and we uh, met up in a coffee shop. And I could tell immediately how committed you were to the efforts and the idea of the Genwell Project. And love to start off with giving us the backstory. If I remember correctly, the initial spark for this initiative really occurred during a blackout. You got the you saw the you saw the light during a blackout. Is that right? Yeah, well said. Um, yeah, it really was. There was a summer blackout of 2003, affected 50 million people on the eastern uh, seaboard of North America. And uh, at that day, I was working uh, out at the airport here in Toronto, uh, made my way back, as most people did, from work. It happened at about 4.10 in the afternoon. So everybody struggled getting home. And what you saw during those struggles was the amazing uh, traits of uh of humans during during times of stress and anxiety and 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 crisis is that we all stepped up. We were handing out. I saw people. I, I had to go take care of an elderly uh, parent, and I rode down Young Street at one point after I got home, and I saw people handing out water and ice cream and picking people up on street corners and directing traffic. And it really is amazing to see uh, how uh, how humans become so caring and empathetic towards one another in times of crisis. And uh, and then later on that night, after everybody got home and was able to check on their loved ones, um, what I saw was what Maslow told us was a human innate need that we all have is everybody got connected face-to-face, the distractions that we faced each and every day, whether that be TVs or computers or phones or whatever. Phones really weren't uh, part of the equation back then, but nothing worked. Nothing nothing was around to distract us from the thing that you know research clearly shows now is something that makes us happier and healthier, which is human connection. And uh, I was at a friend's barbecue uh, in North Toronto, uh, and about nine o'clock at night, I walked out on the front porch of a house uh, to look out onto a street that most days you'd be afraid to step out with uh, looking both ways uh, because you'd be run over by a car. Um, And that night, that street was so packed with people, if you wanted to ride down it on a bicycle, you probably couldn't have gotten through the amount of people that were on the street. And it really, uh, it really highlighted something in my head. I, I, I literally stood on that porch that night and thought to myself, what is going on? <laughs> and after thinking about it a little deeper and going and doing a little more research on it, and as I mentioned, you know, I'm a big, uh, big proponent of uh, Maslow's hierarchy. What I recognized is that we are missing and craving human connection because it's an innate need that we all have. And I think that night really, uh, really uh, ignited a spark in me to recognize that what we all need is a catalyst. What we all need is an excuse and permission for us to take action and do the thing that we all innately need but today, with the pressure, the pace, the distractions that we're under, it makes it more challenging than ever before to do it. So that night stuck in my head, and about a little over a decade later, I finally threw up a website, 
and thought to myself, hey, maybe there's something here that could help people, help people, uh, A, become more aware of something that none of us were ever given uh, education on because really up until those early 2000s, social connection happened naturally. So schools didn't have to educate us on it. Our parents didn't have to educate us on it. You know, we just came home at the end of the day, whether it was work or school, and we found time with other people. So we're now struggling with the, the distractions and the disconnection that the pace, the pressure and, and technology are adding. And now that day has kind of inspired me to say, hey, maybe we need that excuse today. Maybe we need that permission and that reason to actually say, hey, a couple times a year, why don't we actually make a focus on one mission, one message Let's get connected face to face because the research now says it's one of the greatest things we can do for our health and happiness. Well, I, there's so many, uh, so many things are flashing back to me as you tell the story of where you were on that day. And it's not a day I think about very much, but I can certainly absolutely remember exactly what happened on that day as well. You, know, you and I both live in Toronto. And um, um, if I remember, it was, was it early August? Is that what you said? Early August? Yeah, August 13th, 4.10 in the afternoon. August 13th. So I was, I know exactly where I was because I was heading down to the, the marketing agency that I worked at and it was my farewell party because I had, uh, I was resigning and I was moving to L London a week later to moving to the UK and I was on the, I wanted to take the subway down Young Street and I couldn't obviously because all the power was out and I ended up walking and like you, I was struck by, you know, so Young Street, if people don't know Toronto, Young Street is the, the main street, the main, uh, corridor in Toronto and um, I remember distinctly seeing the just feeling the buzz the buzz mm. in the air and this is 2003 which was still fairly close to two, you know September 11th 2001 yeah in the world trade crisis um, world trade center uh, collapse and so there was still this a bit of fear in the air of what's happening if everyone's out of power but there was a buzz and people were walking. And I, I guarantee that people realized that day that they could walk a lot more than they do jumping on the bus or jumping in a taxi. Um, the other part I remember about that day is uh, a mutual friend of ours I, I was connected with and he couldn't get a hold of his family. And he was really concerned. And this was probably nine or 10 o'clock at night and somehow he got a hold of me, sent me a text or something. And I remember going over to find him and it's something I wouldn't normally do, but I don't know, maybe it was seeing all these people connected that made me feel compelled. Something called something with me to go and drive across the city to kind of reassure him and comfort him. And I do remember that moment. And it was a, member, a moment that probably made us still bonded today because we had that extra level of connection. Uh, Chris, I can't tell you the number of people who've told me stories about going out of their way to help other people. And again, it is about the it's the beauty of the human species in times of crisis. Mm. We don't worry about the next booking in our calendar. We don't worry about that meeting or, you know, the sales target for next quarter. We focus on the fundamentals. We focus on people, human beings, yeah. our family, our friends. And I think for a lot of people that night and, and any time that we go through crisis, whether that's a windstorm, an ice storm, a hurricane, a tornado, we see this happen repeatedly in society. But what happens is once we get through it, and if it's not too terrible, we go back to the same routine that we've been in before. We get caught up again. And again, the research now shows that those moments when we come together through a time of crisis, uh, the benefits of that, the, the connection, the, the coping with the situation, the resilience building, the finding solutions, working together as a community, you know, that's a flashback to caveman times, how we all came together. And really, those are the things that really help us build strength and resilience to move forward in challenging times that we might see as we move forward financial crises or other types of crisis that may not be environmental per se, but building that community around you is what will help us all get through the challenging times, whatever those might be, whether it's divorce, illness, job loss, financial pressures, those are the types of things that we're going to face, ups and downs, death of parents, as uh, we chatted about a little bit earlier, the reality is we're all going to go through ups and downs and building that community around you will help you get through it a little easier than if you didn't have it around you. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree with what you're saying there as this taps into a core need of ours and a lot of the work that I've been doing over the years um, it, with working with groups and organizations is training them and teaching them how to better manage their own energy. And we, what we do when we have that conversation, we look across what we call the four dimensions of energy. You know, we talk about physical energy, uh, what you get from sleep and nutrition. We talk about emotional energy and the emotional state that you're in. We talk about mental energy and where you're focusing and we talk about spiritual energy, and the spiritual energy is not about religion or anything ethereal. It's about the energy of the human spirit, and what, what, what not only research shows, but what people's uh, own personal experiences would show is that we tend to derive, we derive the energy of our own spirit, energy of the human spirit, from two primary places. One is when we live more in alignment with our own values, even if we can't articulate you know, sometimes it's hard for us to articulate what we truly, truly value. We have to maybe do some self-reflection and whatnot. But when we live in alignment with that, we, we feel like we're in alignment and that fuels us. But the second thing is when we, when we serve something beyond ourselves. And the example I often give is exactly what you described is that we tend to, it's unfortunate, but we tend to see in the times of greatest crises, like you said, hurricanes and floods and whatnot, we tend to see the best. Sometimes we see the worst, but we also see the best of the human spirit. Uh, we give, you know, feeding people. We give the clothes off our back. We invite strangers into our house. There's something that we're called for. And what you also touched on, I think, is is, is really, it's kind of, I, I kind of find it twisted, but it's an unfortunate reality is that sometimes we need to give ourselves permission to do something to meet our own needs. Yeah. What's been your experience with the whole this whole concept? Let's let's start with that a little bit. This whole idea of giving permission or needing permission—why is that a thing? Why don't we just do it? Yeah, it's a great question, Chris. I I, uh, I think about this often because at times I I'm frustrated that this hasn't become a global movement that the world has picked up on, who quickly understands the need for human connection and, you know, and purpose, uh, which, you know, if I, again, reflect back to Maslow, self-actualization, you know, in my definition of what Maslow was saying is when you recognize that life isn't about you, but what you can do to help others, um, that's the purpose I think we both uh, we uh, hold in high regard uh, during those times of crises. But I think the the the, sec the other side of it is that I I understand um, why it hasn't picked up. And certainly one of the experts that has been one of the thought leaders on our advisory, Dr. Quam McKenzie at the Wellesley Institute in Toronto, early on when I connected with him about this, uh, this movement, the human connection movement, said, you know, this is going to be successful, but it's going to take time because many people don't understand what you're speaking of. And I, I look at the world, you know, since the Second World War in Canada, we've lived in probably the greatest growth era in the history of the world. The average growth rate till about 2008 was five to six percent. We got caught up and and for some are still there in thinking that what made us happy or gave us validation was working harder, long days, status, money, and other things that uh, were part of the, the status quo for, for, for many decades. And we're asking people to be more connected to a higher purpose, to, uh, to connecting with others, some of the fundamental needs we have as human beings but we're living in a fast-paced, distracted, and pressure-filled world that is uh, keeping people from connecting with uh, greater meaning, uh, greater uh, importance of things other than the things that we've been focused on. And that doesn't, we didn't get to where we were in one week, one month, one year, and we're not going to change the world in a, a similar amount of time. So this is taking time. Unfortunately, I'd say the people who have most quickly connected with this movement are people who've been through a crisis in their life. Mm. And, and that crisis, you know, could have been job loss. It could have been divorce. It could have been illness. It could have been financial pressures. It could have been, um, you know, any one of the tragedies that we will go through in life. Because when you've been through those lows, you recognize the importance of having that community around you to support you through those challenging times. And so um, the permission comes 
for everybody that is trying to make that leap from one side to the other to go, it's okay. You know, it's okay that uh, on this weekend, we do two weekends a year called Genwell Weekends. It's okay for me to actually say, I'm going to put the phone down, close the computer, turn off the TV, and actually connect with people face to face. And for some people, that is a uh, permission that they haven't given themselves for decades. Mm. And and it's it's tough getting them there. But when they get there, the people who, funny enough, and I'll just finish on this, which is the people who balk at it the most initially tend to be the ones who come back and go, oh, my God, thank you so much. I haven't done that in so long. And I feel amazing because I got connected. And that's that's where the reward really comes. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll certainly dive into some of the stories that you've heard and what, what the impact is having on people. I just want to loop back to some things you said there. I really appreciate how you kind of zoom out and look at the bigger picture and, you know, starting with the reference point of what society has been like since World War II. And I can imagine that, yeah, for certainly for so many decades coming out of World War II, let alone, you know, which was very, very much, very, um, very soon before that, the Great Depression, there was this, this idea that the way that society moves forward is through hard work. And that led to a lot of, you know, for the most part, for the most part, not everybody, of course, but for the most part in the Western world um, is to material items, you know, good home, good car, good job um, was the focus. And it was what we were taught was important to strive for. And I think it also makes me reflect in kind of a parallel way back to my early days in marketing. And I, I started my career in direct marketing where we would, you know, send out direct mail to to customers of companies and give them different offers and ways that they can improve their services or take advantage of new products. And one of the, the core tenets of our marketing was, you know, if you gave someone a promotional offer and you said, well, here's your choice. You could choose between option A, B and C and D and E. The more choice you were given, the less people would respond. It leads, the more choice leads to inertia. And we are, you know, our response rates from our marketing would drop quite a bit if we gave people more options. The sweet spot was probably two or three, choose A or B. Um, and it makes me it parallels to our modern times. You know, if we go back to World War II versus where we are, we are culturally now, for the most part, not everybody, but for the most part, we we do have a roof over our head and we do have access to things, but we probably have access to too many things, including what our uh, connected devices give us these days. And with too much connection, the default or too much opportunity to connect to different things, the default is in those in those nanoseconds of I don't know what to do, we are defaulting to pulling out our phone and looking at the internet or social media or texting or playing a game versus connecting with other people. So I can see how this whole idea of permission um, is an important one. And it's an important word, I think. And it's exactly the same thing I see in, in the work that I do with corporations. It's people, the first thing people have to do is to give themselves permission to take care of themselves because we have too many choices and too many other demands that are taking us away from from knowing ourselves and knowing what's really important to us and understanding what our needs are so we can actually stay connected to those. Um, so I think it is an important place to, place to, place to start. And again, I asked you from your experience, uh, what, what does that actually mean in practice? If I need to, if someone's listening to this and say, oh, yeah, I probably could be, give myself permission, but what do, I, what do I actually do with that? Or how do I, what does that actually mean? What's been your experience? Yeah, it's a it's an interesting question. What I would uh, reflect back on again, <laughs> I apologize to keep going back to Maslow, but you know what it means for most people is first and foremost understanding a message that you and I were never taught uh, as we grew up. Uh, Maslow called it love and belonging. It was the third level of his hierarchy of needs. And the reality is, when I went to school, the only thing they ever taught me was to go to the gym and to eat the Canadian food guide. Because back then, when I was growing up, social connection happened naturally. So um, what it means in practical uh, action is just spending time with other people and spending time with the people that you're mo most likely to build an ongoing healthy relationship with. Uh, because that is, those are the relationships that will give you the health and the happiness benefits of building those social connections. 
the challenge that I think for most people is because they're not conscious, because they were never given that information. I, I know from many different activities, whether it was school and teachers telling me there was a program called Participation, yes. where I've been told for 40 years that I'm supposed to spend 30 to 60 minutes a day uh, getting active. I've seen 27 versions of the Canadian Food Guide that has evolved, uh, you know, every four or five years to tell me that I'm supposed to eat a balanced diet. But nobody ever educated me on the importance of social connection. And now we're at a time where it's really difficult for people to A, understand and B, realize that the practical execution, this is really simple. It's actually just making time to go connect with people that you've been meaning to see. We all have that long list of people that we've been meaning to see, friends, family, neighbors, colleagues. Hey, we should get together. We should get together. There's a cartoon that we we post often on our, our social channels, and it's four, four quadrants. The first one is the two guys. Hey, we should get together. We should get together. And the fourth quadrant is standing uh, two guys looking down at a gravestone that says, hey, we should have got together. Hmm. And the reality is this movement is almost challenging for some people to understand what we're saying because the answer is really simple. There's some research out there that says to build lifelong friendships takes 200 hours of time of people to spend together. And it, it, what the research has also shown that after the age of 30, it's difficult to build those relationships uh, those new lifelong relationships, because you don't get the chance to spend that quantity of time with people. So really, it's if you think about the people that you're most likely to have built those long lasting, sustaining relationships, it's the people you went to high school, public school, uh, maybe uh, somewhere in your community, maybe it was a church group, who knows, sports teams. But those are the teams and those are the friendships that are probably the ones that you've probably not kept up or haven't put the time in or haven't made a regular occasion to catch up. And really, it's as simple as saying, hey, you know, those guys you used to hang out with on the hockey team, the baseball team, your high school buddies, whoever it is. Hey, the practical execution of this is hit send on that invite that every one of you has been meaning to send for the last two and a half years or since the last time you got together, because we've all seen this happen. The note goes out and it's in, 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 been waiting, can't wait, looking forward to it, want to see you, man, long overdue. And we've all been through it. And yet we all have this psychological barrier to sending out that invite when it is so easy. And if you only get 80% or 70% of people, don't worry about the other 30. People have things going on. The benefit is to those who are able to make it this time, and you can catch those other people on the next one. Well, I, I kind of chuckled when you gave that last example there. Uh, the response, unfortunately, and I think it's bloody sad, that for the last, I would say last 10 years or so, and I, again, I don't know if it's just, I guess it's, it's a factor of the busy world that we're living in, but more often than not, when I've been either sending out or been a part of or a recipient of someone saying, hey, let's get, all get together. When can people do? Man, oh, man, it seems like it used to be like, yeah, we can do next Thursday. Now it seems like, well, can we try in the summer sometime six months from now because my calendar is a bit full or it takes forever to get things in the calendar. But I like your point about uh, let's, let's go for whoever can get together and we'll deal with everyone else later. Um, so we, we talked about some, some things here. Um, and you've referenced some things that the Genwell Project does. So let's just ground the listener, perhaps, who maybe hasn't heard of the Genwell Project. Just Can you just ground us in what this initiative does and what you encourage people to do and kind of what you've been focusing on? And then we can expand it from there. Yeah, it's a great, great idea. Um, so the Genwell Project is a human connection movement whose mission is to make, I think you said this right off the top, our mission is to make the world a happier and healthier uh, place by reminding people about the importance of face-to-face -face social connection uh, and inspiring them to take action. And I think the real important part is about the taking action. Uh, of course, behavior change starts with uh, creating knowledge in society. So each day we post information, tips, tools, and research uh, on our social media pages, which you can see uh, on all the platforms and through our website. 
to help inform people of the importance of this uh, movement of the information. And the research today shows just on the information front shows that uh, spending time with other people is the single largest indicator of happiness in our life, reduces anxiety and depression, which are obviously skyrocketing in just about every demographic in society, uh, increases empathy, compassion, and resilience, something that we see lacking uh, across uh, across society uh, in many ways, uh, strengthens your immune system and self-confidence, and can increase your chances of living longer by up to 50%. So we need to get that information out. So step one, we're an awareness campaign, making sure that people can become more aware and conscious of just how important spending time with other people is. And then the taking action part really revolves around two weekends a year when we want to inspire people to actually reach out and send that invite and get connected. Uh, we do them in the spring and fall and we do those strategically. Every aspect of this movement is built on research and information and insights about the human condition and uh, the human being. Uh, transitional seasons are the times of year when people struggle most. Most people think that suicide rates are highest in the winter time, they're actually highest in the springtime. And they say that that's because people go into hibernation over the winter time, we get into some habits, we isolate ourselves a little bit, and then as we come into the springtime, uh, as the as the temperature gets a little warmer and the pressure starts to grow to be social, if you, for whatever reason, don't feel so inclined, that that puts added pressure uh, on you as an individual. That may be because you've had a transition in your life, like a job loss, a divorce, illness, or it may just be that you're you know not feeling particularly social at the present time. And what's really transitioned in the last 20 years is, you know, our competitive sets used to be the people we could see out our front window. But today with social media, you know, the competitive set is every person you've ever met in your life and a couple other million that you haven't. And so we're watching people's uh, human highlight reels each and every day on social media. And so the expectation continues to grow. So springtime, the first weekend in May, we want to get people out and connected, whether it's because you need it and are recognizing the need for social connection in your life, or maybe even more importantly, the recognition of the impact that you can have on somebody else's life by reaching out to them and inspiring them to come out, whether it's a, a senior who maybe lacks mobility, maybe it's somebody with a handicap, and as I say, maybe it's somebody who's lost a job. Maybe it's somebody who's going through a divorce. Maybe it's a friend you haven't seen in a long time. Whatever the reason, just recognizing the impact that we can all have by reaching out to somebody else. The second weekend is in the fall. We come off of our summer schedules, which tend to be a little lighter. Traffic's lighter on the way to work. Half the people in the office, so you know the speed and pace of work doesn't uh, isn't as quick as it uh, normally is. We come back from our summer schedules and everything is piled on from more traffic to kids schedules to more due dates on our on our to do list for for the office. And everything starts to add up into a pile that creates a lot of stress and anxiety for people. Again, three weeks after Labor Day weekend, what we want to do is give people an excuse, give them the permission that we talked about earlier to say, you know what? I haven't seen people in the summertime because everybody's on their own schedule. Let's get connected with our street, with our family, with our friends, whatever that community is that's going to support you moving forward. Let's give people the excuse to actually send that invite out and get connected. Those two weekends are the two points at which we want to get people to activate around human connection but with the longer term goal of helping people create ongoing healthy connection habits because coming out of those weekends, they recognize how much fun it is, how much they missed it, how good it is for their health and how happy it makes them just by spending time with other people. Well, that was a great rundown, Pete. And, um, uh, you know, the research, it's, it's, it's remarkable, the consistency and the strength of the research that goes behind social connection. I, you know, I know you got a lot of the research articles posted on your website. Um, you know, the, 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 one of the famous ones, of course, being the Harvard study, the, the most longer term study uh, that showed that social connections were the key to happiness. Uh, but the other things about, you know, physical health, emotional health, mental health, uh, 
is phenomenal. And, you know, you, you, you touched on loneliness and loneliness seems to be uh, the, the, uh, the challenge of people feeling lonely, being lonely or feeling lonely. Um, seems to be growing and growing. And I saw this article about that in the UK, they've just appointed a minister, a government minister to be in charge of figuring out loneliness. And they've put together a loneliness strategy. Um, I, I've done some work in the university system lately. And um, uh, one of the questions that was asked by a woman in the audience, a student at university. Now, this was an audience of, of 600 university students. And she asked about loneliness, you know, any strategies or things to think about if you're feeling lonely. And, and you know, I kind of flippantly, uh, you know, maybe a little sarcastically said, well, when you look to your left and your right, there's 600 other people here. So there's lots of opportunities to, to not feel lonely. Um, you know, someone I saw a post on the social media recently saying, you know, with, seven, with 8 billion people on the planet, if you're feeling lonely, you're looking at it wrong. And... And I, I don't want to be flippant about it because I know it is a real challenge for some people. And there, there are some people, of course, who, who don't have ready, ready connections. But I think what was important about that post, or that comment there, was that the point about you're looking, at it, you're looking at it wrong. And I think so much of the disconnection, whether it's even the I'm so busy, I don't have time to get together, it means we're looking at it wrong. And would you agree? I mean... I, I know, it's, I know it's never easy, so I'll never simplify to say it's easy to, to get connection, but there are these barriers. But do you think that we are looking at it wrong and are creating a lot of barriers for us to connect that really don't need to be there? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if wrong is the word, but I just, uh, you know, what I try to uh, do is put myself in the shoes of um, all the demographics that, again, this is, we consider, we're not a mental health campaign. We're not a physical health campaign. We're a, a wellness campaign. I think we're, we're about all of it. Um, we are about prevention. We're trying to get people to stay healthy because governments are out of money. The health system is bursting at the seams and we have to stop thinking about, uh, only trying to cope with illness when we get to the crisis. So our movement is about getting people to stay connected so that they can maintain their health. And what I think across the demographics and why those barriers may be there today, I look, you know, you said that was at a university. Well, if I look at the pressure set that these guys are under, kids are under today, university students are under today, the pressure to perform, the, the constant pressure to keep up with the Joneses on social media, to always have the best marks, to get the best job, to portray the perfect life. No wonder people are fearful to actually break down barriers because they're looking at everybody around them and fearful that that's part of the competitive set and that person wants what you want and therefore if you don't get it, they'll get it. And I, I think we're really setting up our young people for failure uh, in the in the in the in the um, in the system that we've created and the, the the judgment that we've created in what is success in life. So I look at young people and I kind of go, no wonder they're struggling to connect with one another, aside from the fact that they're just frankly out of habit because, you know, it's too easy to pick up the phone when we've got five minutes waiting in the line at the bank, although I guess young people probably don't wait in the line at a bank <laughs> anymore. Maybe it's for uh, picking, up, uh, picking up some fast food at a, at a local uh, burger place. But the reality is it's too easy to pick up the phone and distract yourself with the news or the sports highlights or a YouTube video than it is to actually say to the person that's standing in line, hey, what about those, you know, what about the weather? What about that sports team? What about whatever? The type of thing that used to happen naturally 20, 30 years ago, but that takes practice and that takes confidence and that takes a lack of fear in people. So I think it's a natural, the, where we are is almost a natural reaction to the pace, the pressure, the distractions that we're under. And that's young people, because I look at seniors and, you know, some people have said to me with this movement, Pete, why don't you just make this about seniors or just make it about young people? And my response to people is saying, you know, telling seniors that they're lonely and isolated doesn't help seniors. What I need to do is tell everybody else, hey, 
your senior, your grandparent is lonely and isolated at that senior's residence, and they'd really appreciate it if you'd put down the phone five times uh, more this week and actually went and spent 35 minutes to say hello to them. Mm. And the reality is we've got seniors that are isolated because the rest of us don't have time left in our days. We've got young people struggling with social connection because of that pressure and the connection to technology. And then you look at the workplace. I think the stat is 73% of Canadians go to work every day disengaged from the work they do. Well, part of that is because they're disconnected at home and they don't feel supported or connected at the office either. So the pressure, the pace, the uh, the the expectations are all adding to a, a, a challenging uh, space where we all feel fearful to reach out and build the bonds that in actual fact businesses need these things to happen you know they do the research shows a highly connected and happy workplace can be up to 22 percent more productive more collaborative greater retention more trust more loyalty all the things that every business wants comes from building that human connection in the workplace and yet most of us don't take the time to let people connect because you know the the quarterly numbers have to be met because you know, things have got to be pumped out. Most people have less employees than they did a decade ago. It makes it challenging for everybody in all three of those uh, segments of the population to do the connecting. And there's and not a surprise, there's where the anxiety, depression, and the mental and physical health issues that uh, come as a result of less connection across all those demographics. Yeah, I, I, I'm... I, I love your enthusiasm and your energy behind this beat. And uh, um, yeah, so many, so much wisdom in what you're saying there. And it, again, it's, it's not hard, but it's a challenge for a lot of us to, to, I don't know if it's making the effort or, or um, maybe not necessarily fully appreciating the benefits that we get or the benefits, the gain, the uptick and whatever. What are some of the stories that you've heard from people who've, share their their um their experience of their genwell um efforts and activities and projects and weekends what are some of the things that have inspired you or some things that, that you think are that other people need to hear um for people who've put the effort in yeah and i think your your comment about the awareness is is the right part you know behavior change starts with people becoming more conscious and aware of the information so yes i think that is why we exist is to get that information into people's hands so they can be more proactive about uh, reaching out. But uh, to your question, um, the inspiring stories that just come to my head as, as you ask the question, you know, I think of one, we do a survey after every, uh, after every Genwell weekend and we ask people to share the stories and the comments that people have made. And uh, I know one one story was a lady had come up to a Genwell project host and said, thank you so much for the invite today. You will never know how much I needed this. Mm. And, you know, none of us will, I, I certainly didn't ask deeper question. It was on a part of the survey, but none of us will ever recognize the impact that we've had on other people just by reaching out. Um, you know, not everybody, and this is part of the challenge we have, and this is why we are a, we don't think of ourselves as an isolation and loneliness campaign. We think of ourselves as a proactive human connection movement. The point being is not everybody will self-declare themselves as isolated and lonely. Yes. And yet we all benefit from more human connection. And so, you know, other stories that come out is a, a gentleman who shared with us that um, uh, somebody came up to him after his Genwell weekend and said, thank you. You have forever made our street a safer place for our kids because we have now actually met the community of people that we hadn't met before on our street. Mm. You know, so and I've uh, certainly from an office standpoint, uh, I was working with a, a law office downtown who uh, had for many years uh, had a bagel breakfast that they brought all their employees together. But over the course of the last you know few years, it had basically come into turned into a uh, a takeout bagel uh, store in the morning where people would come in, they would toast their bagel, put on their topping, and then they'd go to their office and eat it on their own. 
And we did a lunch and learn in that office. And we, again, raised the consciousness of the office about the importance of human connection to their health, to their happiness, and even in the case of business, to the benefit of the business, because a lawyer highlighted the fact that, you know, some of the solutions that they were putting forward to their clients were not as good as they used to be because the collaboration wasn't there that once was. Mm. And so the amazing feedback we got, Chris, was that the person who I was dealing with, which was in a, a, a professional development side of their business, said, Pete, you're not going to believe this. We've had to open up two additional offices or uh, meeting rooms for people to sit at bagel breakfast because more people are coming and staying and having the conversation as was the original tension, intention of the bagel breakfast. Love it. And they, they just said that people are now staying for 30 minutes, 45 minutes and having the dialogue and building those connections that will not only help people from a personal standpoint, but also help the business in, in creating that greater collaboration and, and enthusiasm and that, those bonds that actually make going and spending eight to 10 hours a day in a, in a place we call the job site or workplace, make it more enjoyable for everybody. Well, it's, I find it, I find it. Remarkable. And now, now it's like a personal kind of goal of mine, a stealth goal of mine. When I'm on a workshop, sometimes, you know, we go into these uh, offices or sometimes we go into a conference center or a hotel, you know, meeting, meeting room. And sometimes the room is set up with, you know, four chairs around a square table. Sometimes it's a conference style with a big, you know, eight people around a round table. But sometimes we just set the room up where there are no tables and we set the room kind of like in a half moon shape of, of these chairs and it could be anywhere from 10 people to 35 people no tables no chairs just sitting in a circle even uh chairs and it never ceases to amaze me how unprompted people will make a comment at some point during that day when they're sitting with no tables to say it's so nice just to connect with people as humans <laughs> versus as job title and offices and you know and physical walls and everything else yeah, and it also makes me think of uh, your comment about the the gentleman who shared that you know his street has changed forever. The street that I live on, you know, one of the frustrations in our neighborhood is that there's very little parking, and so most people actually park on the street, which is not uncommon in Toronto. Uh, you know, century old, very very tight houses together. Um, but one of the upsides of that that I didn't expect when when we moved into the neighborhood was that because everyone has to park on the street and the, it's, a, it's a dead end street where I live. So it's, it's jammed with cars. Everyone, everyone on those houses tries to squeeze their car or two cars in there. But what happens is what you don't get is people driving into their garages and going into the door inside the garage into their house and never seeing their neighbors. Here, sometimes you have to park, you know, four or five, 10 houses away from your own house because that's the only spot left. But it forces you to park somewhere else get to know each other's cars and they have to walk past uh, everyone else's houses. And everyone kind of comments that it helps people get to know each other, even if it's not a personal friendship, but you recognize faces, you say hello, you stop and have a brief chat with someone walking their dog. And it really has created a nice community on our street. And we have a, we do have a little summer street party every year. And um, it really creates an, an environment where you do feel more connected and I'm sure Sarah and I will talk about this in the after show a little bit about what that means to us as, as residents on the street. And it goes to show that sometimes there's, there's um, kind of positive constraints. There are some constraints that we all have to work within, but there's positive outcome, outcome from it. And where those positive constraints don't exist, we have, to, we have to wake up. We have to use our awareness and we have to step up and be, be more intentional in making these connections. And, uh, yeah, I think... Yeah, and I, love, I love what you said there, you know, your example of the, the, uh, the cartoon of uh, people saying we should get together sometime and then in the grave, they said we should have got together. Yeah, and I, I, I think that's a, a beautiful example, Chris, because I, when, I, when I speak to organizations, um, I often say, look, everything that we've done to ourselves during those decades of great growth, we've built bigger houses with smaller families. Taller fences in our backyard made out of wood, not out of fence so that you could talk to your neighbor. We've built back decks instead of front porches. We've built in-home movie theaters, automatic garage doors, just about everything that we could have possibly done to create the greatest isolation in our lives, we've done. And now you're fortunate, like I actually say you're fortunate 
that you're doing street parking, although I'm sure there's times when you pull onto that street <laughs> and you can't find a parking spot that it doesn't feel so fortunate. Yep. But, you know, that is the catalyst for connection. And on streets where there is driveways and automatic garage doors, I can assure you that there is less human connection than on your street. And I will suggest to you that, and, and I know another, another story, and it's actually my own street. And when we hosted our first Genwell uh, project, we did it. Uh, we did it on a front parking pad because we didn't want to create a barrier. We wanted to be exposed. We we brought a barbecue out to the front of the house, and a lady walked down the street, Chris, and walked up to us and said, "I've lived here for 19 years, and nobody has ever hosted something and invited me to come down to a barbecue." And you recognize that depending on the community you live in, as you know, some some of the places in downtown Toronto where it's, you know, semi-detached homes and really tight, tight quarters, it sounds like you might be in one of those. Those communities actually are quite solid because you you, you can't find the space to just spread out and have your your big home with the in-home movie theater. But those communities who may at one time have thought that that was the 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 mecca that that was the goal was to have everything inside your three four thousand square foot home may actually find after the fact that hey without making a concerted effort to talk to that neighbor you may actually go through most days where you don't talk to anybody and and i think we all again it's all about raising consciousness if you're in that scenario and you can recognize it in yourself then you know what steps to take if you're in your scenario where you're making that connection, what a great catalyst. You sound like you already you said you had already do your your street party. That's awesome. Now, from that street party, how can we get connected with other people throughout the course of the year? How many times do we need to do it? Not only because you might need it in 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 the life that you're leading, but maybe there's other people on the street. You know, one of the things we think about quite often with the movement is we say, look, this is a this this movement is about everybody. But not everybody wants to go to that big street party. There's introverts. There's handicapped people. There's uh, marginalized communities. There's all different types of people. And what we all need to just become more conscious of is who who is here and maybe who isn't here. Mm. And becoming more conscious of what we might be able to do to engage with more people and make it more approachable and easy for people to participate who may not naturally go to whatever the original, you know, things that you're doing on your street. And I'd love to hear your your point of view on, uh, you know, we're having this conversation. We're in the in the throes of the, the holiday season uh, around Christmas and Hanukkah, which, you know, ca casts a, captures a wide part of the population. Um, and so it is, a, it can, again, a natural time for families and friends to get together for for office parties, etc., but even in st still during that time, there can be people who do feel isolated, who maybe don't have connections. Um, what's your point of view or what's your message to the listeners out there who maybe on maybe um, maybe uh, the two, two types of audiences that might be listening to two types of people? One is those who might be feeling a bit lonely, extra lonely at this time of year. Maybe they've lost some family or they're living in a place that isn't their normal home or and so they are feeling a bit separated and maybe those who are deeply connected to friends and family and maybe maybe, maybe underappreciate that not everybody is deeply connected at this time of year. Uh, Chris, this, like, honestly, I'm getting goosebumps even thinking about uh, the approaching season and and the importance of the, of your question. Um, I think for uh, the socially connected individual, it's a great opportunity for us to look around and, and recognize that not everyone maybe uh, has the benefit of family and friends close by. Obviously, we now live in the most transient world in history. Toronto is a great example of a very multicultural city with, I believe, over 50% of our residents now not having been born in Canada. So not everybody's blessed and if you are blessed to have that type of tight-knit community with your family, friends, your neighbors, hey, just be more conscious of, of the people around you. And even when you're at those events, be more conscious about how important 
those relationships are. I always, I've always thought of myself as a very social person, but I'll tell you, I've become much more conscious about how important those relationships are versus just getting the opportunity to connect and have fun and have a few drinks and, 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 and party for lack of a better term. But now, uh, you know, finding those times to really connect one-on-one and build the relationships that will be there for you ongoing are really important. From, from, from those who may struggle, whether it's with social anxiety who might, or who might be going through a challenging time in their lives, um, I think, you know, baby steps is, is my answer. And, and certainly, hopefully, somebody in your circle, whether it's a family member, a friend, or a neighbor, may recognize that you're not doing very well or you might be struggling. So let's hope that the message of the Genwell Project, and we work every day over the course of the holidays to try and communicate those messages to increase people's awareness of this message. Hopefully we'll find somebody in your circle who will understand that message and reach out. But at the very least, you know, the baby steps for me, for somebody who is struggling, is to go to the people that you know, you've had a relationship in the past or people that are most likely to to say yes, you know, and we're not all blessed to have big, beautiful families that rally around us. We're not always blessed to have, you know, uh, warm friendships, but hopefully there's somebody there. And then the, 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 the final piece of that one to me, and it's Chris, what you and I talked off uh, the top of the, the show is uh, the idea of giving. One of the greatest things we can all do at this time of year is actually think about how we can help others. And I know myself in any time where I've actually stepped up and volunteered my time, whether uh, whether it was actually working at, out of the cold in Toronto, which was a homeless shelter program, um, the number of people that I met, uh, the engaging conversations, the the enjoyment of having a purpose, the ability to do uh, good in the world and recognize that you, whoever you are, have value to the world that you live in. The opportunity over the holidays to help other people is everywhere. And so to that person who's struggling, my comment would be make one call, make one opportunity for yourself to go and connect and help somebody else. And I'm quite confident that that will probably lead you to not only feeling better in the moment, but probably seeking out other opportunities for you to do the same uh, again and again, because that is what gets us back on the right step and on the right foot. And, you know, again, the the, the awareness that I think for, for all of us is when you start feeling better, don't disregard what got you there. Mm. Don't forget about giving. Don't forget about making those connections with others who are like-minded. And I think those little baby steps over the holidays can make a huge difference in people's lives who might be struggling as they head in. Uh, I love what you said there, Pete. And I think that's a great call to action. And it certainly reminds me that, um, you know, some things I've, I've seen and experienced over my years is that when people are in a really tough situation, whether they are feeling lonely or uh, feeling there's a social anxiety or feeling depressed and they're in that really low, low mental place and emotional place, that one of the most effective ways, I won't say fastest, I won't say easiest, but most effective th- ways to start to reverse that is to yeah. get out there and contribute to somebody else. And, you know, what that does for you psychologically, if it really just turns your focus away from yourself and puts your focus on someone else, it makes someone else feel good. And it can really um, put you on a, on a good path. So I think those are those are great words for sure. And as it relates to those who are already socially connected, what it made me think is, you know, for people to be more self-aware is if you're my 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 challenge to the listener out there is if you are hosting family and friends or you're going to some social occasion, you're hosting a social occasion. Uh, over the holidays here, maybe the, maybe one simple thing to do is, and and you might get some resistance. Here's the thing: I bet you would get some resistance, but at the end, people would love it and appreciate it. Is you have a however you execute it is up to you. But the rule of that is when people come into, come into your home, that one you have at, the, at your front door a little box, and everyone has to drop their phones in there, so no one's actually on their phones during the uh, during the party, the dinner party, the social time. And they're actually having to time time to connect with each other. No TVs on, and I bet you would get people to say, 
I, I, I didn't want to, or I thought it was weird, but I really appreciate it. Yeah. I, I, again, these are just the little reminders. So I think for those, those that struggle with <laughs> disconnecting, uh, I, I think they'll have the response that you, uh, that, uh, that you've indicated. Um, and for those who are already halfway there and are a little more conscious, uh, they'll be the first ones to go. I'm in. Let's go. Let's uh, you know. Let's let's go over and let's start the game of Monopoly or uh, let's go start some euchre or whatever whatever uh, gets your fancy. At the end of the day, I think we crave these moments. Um, you know, part of the reason why we didn't do Genwell weekends around this time of year is because you know there is gathering. We kind of understand it. Yes, there's people that aren't you know, don't have that closeness for whatever reason. And there's other people that struggle, but we know that it's already out there. And, and the reason we picked our two weekends in the spring and fall is to help people when they also struggle and when the, the excuse or the catalyst isn't there. And so uh, my hope for everybody this, this uh, holiday season is that we all find some time face to face with those that we, that we love, we care about, and frankly, maybe even some people you haven't spent time with or know from before, but actually build some empathy and compassion for other people in the world. That's great, Pete. That's great. I mean, before I ask the final question, where can people learn more about uh, your work and get in touch with you? Yeah, they can follow us on all of our social channels. We're on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, uh, either The Genwell Project or Genwell Project, depending on what we were able to secure. And they can head over to genwellproject.org uh, to find out more information about the human connection movement. We don't open up the registration of the campaign uh, of the Genwell weekend till about six weeks, eight weeks before the next Genwell weekend, which is on May 1st, 2nd, 3rd of 2020. Although we're, we're, we're considering, you know, maybe we should be keeping this open 12 months a year and having people uh, let us know that we've inspired them, that we've uh, uh, given them a, a reason to actually reach out a little more often or maybe for the first time in a long time so that we can truly identify the impact that this message is having on people. So that may change over time, but for now, uh, head over to the website, find out more, sign up for our newsletter and, and keep in touch with us because we'll, uh, we'll send out our monthly newsletter to keep everybody uh, top of mind on the, the latest information research tips and tools on staying socially connected that's great Peter. and we'll make sure we'll have the uh, the links to those in the in our show notes and again for the listener um i really do highly encourage you to go to their website there's tons of ideas there if you're thinking if this has sparked something in you and you're like oh we should we should put something together tons of great ideas practical tips and strategy not strategy practical tips and ideas on how to create an event to connect and if you're um, if you're a fan of research on wellness and what social connection do absolutely Check out the Genwell Project on on Twitter. Uh, lots and lots of great links and articles there that um, you can get a lot of value out of and help inform you as well. So, Pete, uh, final question for your time on the Ignition Show: What do you hope to ignite in the world? Hmm. Well, uh, I think my 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 hope is to ignite greater human connection and make the world a happier and healthier place. I know that sounds really really simple because I've said it about eight times over the course of our, our conversation. But uh, I think I've recognized uh, in the three years of, of championing this movement uh, as a volunteer that um, when I see the impact and when I look at the research and see the increasing need for this, that it is really this simple. Let's ignite the passion for people to put down their technology, to find gaps in their day and make the time to get connected because together we truly can make the world a happier and healthier place, one face-to-face -face conversation at a time. I appreciate that very much, Pete. And uh, you are, certainly are a man on the mission and it's definitely a voice of reason for, for all of us. I've logged lots of notes here from the conversation. I'm sure uh, my wife and I will have a great conversation about this afterwards. So I appreciate your time, Pete. I appreciate what you're doing and I appreciate you uh, for your commitment to the cause and to help make the world a happier, healthier place. Thanks very much, Pete. Thank you, Chris. That was Pete Bombacci, Chief Connection Officer and Founder of the Genwell Project. You can find all the links in our show notes. 
We want you to get the most from the time you've invested listening here. The show is only valuable if you apply what you learned, and most learning is generated from reflection. So we'd love to hear from you and your reflections about what you learned or found interesting. Join the community and go to theignitionshow.com slash connect and let us know what struck you. What was it that you heard today that you really needed to hear today? You can leave us an audio message or join our Facebook group and participate in the conversation there. Just go to Facebook and search for The Ignition Show, where we'd love to hear your comments and follow-up questions. Also, be sure to check out the after show of this episode. That's a shorter follow-up episode where we, that's my wife and business partner, Sarah and I, talk about what we learned from this interview and how these ideas have shown up in our lives on a more personal level. As always, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave a review in iTunes. It helps others find us and helps us get better. We read every single review and comment that comes through iTunes, Facebook, and our website and respond to as many people as we can. And lastly, remember, whatever you dream of, Whatever you hope for and secretly wish you had, you're closer than you think you are. You're meant to have it, and you absolutely deserve it. Until next time, I'm Chris Jansen, and this is The Ignition Show.